This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Nally. Our guest this week is Dr. Gary Adams, President and CEO of the National Cotton Council. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with NCC's Dr. Gary Adams, next. Today's Open Mic segment is brought to you by America's Crop Insurance Industry, which is thankful for the continued support of farmers, commodity organizations, rural businesses, lenders, and lawmakers who are fighting to maintain a strong farm safety net. Providing individualized protection on more than 300 million acres of farmland, crop insurance remains the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. Cotton farmers and their supporting industry have and still are suffering much from the COVID-19 pandemic. Dr. Gary Adams, President and CEO of the National Cotton Council, says the economic challenges for the industry started well before the COVID outbreak. I would say the big factor in the marketplace would have been just the overall trade relations between the United States and China. So if I back up into the early part of 2018, we were starting to see some growth in cotton demand. We were seeing a little bit of optimism in cotton prices. In fact, we go back to the futures market, uh, those contracts were starting to trade in the low 90s. And then, of course, as we got to the middle part of 2018, uh, we got into the uh, the trade tensions uh, between the U.S. and China, uh, ultimately got to the point of retaliatory tariffs being applied on U.S. cotton going into China, saw that big decline in market share. And then, and then as we watched over the remainder of 2018 and then through much of 2019, we just generally saw prices drift lower. And where they were trading in the low 90s, then they started trading down into the low 60s. So I, I would say that was one of the biggest impacts we were seeing. And then, of course, we got into 2020 and COVID. How much of your demand is domestic and how important is the global market? And is China your key player? Well, certainly when we look at overall cotton demand, we typically see about, oh, somewhere around 75 or 80 percent that is exported as raw fiber. Now, a good bit of that will be processed in other countries uh, and eventually come back to the United States and textile products. Uh, as we look at some key markets, Mexico under under NAFTA, now USMCA has been a key market, uh, but a lot of uh, U.S. cotton goes into markets in Asia, uh, China being a big one. Historically, they've been a big one. I would say over the last two or three years, they've dropped a little bit from being the top export destination to maybe still being number two or number three. Vietnam has actually emerged as the largest export destination, but clearly China's very influential in terms of not just U.S. prices, but the overall global marketplace. I saw where Senator Tillis of North Carolina and Senator Warner of Virginia had sent a letter to members of the Senate and quoted some pretty astounding numbers with regard to your industry saying that from March through May, clothing sales were down $44 billion, or 67%. As a precursor to those numbers, is it safe to say that COVID-19 has been a real challenge for your industry? It has been, and in in some parts of our industry, it has just been completely devastating. And going back to those statistics in the letter by Senators Tillis and Warner, in a typical month, U.S. consumers will spend about $22 billion on clothing, and that's the typical pre-COVID level. 
for the month of April, that had fallen to only about $3 billion spent. So even in just that one month, the reduction was almost 90%. And then when we cumulatively look over it over that three-month period of March, April, and May, you're right, it was down 66%. When we look at U.S. textile industry, the U.S. manufacturers, on average, they'll spend about 3 million bales of U.S. cotton, so a, a, a key and important market for U.S. cotton. They were consuming at an annualized rate in April that was only about 250,000 bales, when normally we would be consuming at an annualized rate of about 3 million bales. So again, we were talking about 80 to 90% reductions, and a lot of that was just the fact that retail Shopping was closed down. We had the textile industry here largely shut down. Key markets for the yarns that we produce, particularly in the Western Hemisphere, were closed, and some of them are still closed. So the immediacy and just the depth of the hit on clothing demand and then subsequently cotton demand has been unlike anything we've seen before. I thought it was interesting also. They quoted the the textile mills, as you just suggested, a 90% drop in orders for the yarn that they produce. So whether it's the MAP funding or whether it's the CFAP with dollars from the CARES program, you're really not just protecting your farmers. You're trying to shore up an industry. Well, we are, and I, and I, I believe as, as we look at what we hope Congress will do with the next stimulus package or the next relief legislation, we as the U.S. cotton industry are really pushing Congress for the type of assistance we need across the industry because, yes, there's the pain that's being felt by the farmers, and we want to see some additional funding to help uh, protect the farmers. But when we look at the supply chain, the impact that we're seeing on merchandisers as global demand has dropped, as transactional costs, logistics costs, storage costs have increased, and then on the on the manufacturer side, just as they have lost 90% of their market, and only now trying to claw back just a little bit of that market. And, and some of what they've been doing is really try to redirect production lines and do more in the way of personal protective equipment. So what can they do to, you know, they've been actively engaged in trying to produce masks, produce the yarns and, and fabrics for gowns, but still tremendous amount of financial pain across all the segments. We estimate it's above $4 billion. And so, you know, we're pushing for assistance that can really address all three of those areas, the, the grower, that merchandising segment, and then the manufacturers as well. From the grower perspective, could you suggest that CFAP was enough to make producers whole? Well, it, it really wasn't when we just look at the structure of CFAP, uh, and certainly it was it was very beneficial to some of our growers who had those inventories as of January 15 that would qualify for CFAP. But if we just go back to the construction of CFAP and look at the fact that USDA looked at the price decline that occurred in the cotton market between January and April, and then took either 50 or 55 percent of that decline, depending on the, the pots of money. But essentially, they were compensating about half of the market decline. And then that half of the market decline would be available on the grower's unpriced inventory, not to exceed 50 percent of production. So, yes, it was beneficial to some, but you really look at it, it only compensated for a portion of the decline. And then it may not have even applied to all of the unpriced inventory that a producer had at the time. Gary, there were some challenges earlier this year talking about the MAP funds, and then I think also perhaps directed towards CFAP as well, that maybe a disproportional amount of funds have been directed toward the South and toward some commodities, namely cotton, as opposed to other parts of the country. Do, do you feel like you got an unfair share of the pie? No, not at all. And in fact, when we look back, and, and we're aware of some of those 
you know, some of the studies that came out that, that look at how, you know, assistance was conveyed out to, say, through the market facilitation programs and, 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 and those types of, of programs. I think one of the things we look at is, you know, if you look at what the actual damage was in the market, and again, I go back to some of the statistics we saw where we had, you know, prices trading in the, in the low 90s before the trade tension started and then moving down into the low 60s, and we look at, you know, what producers received, and in particular if we look at the most recent uh, MFP that was based off of the, the county rates, and we know that cotton was a portion of that. As we look at the assistance that cotton uh, received under that, we estimate that was probably about uh, somewhere around 40% of what the change in the market value was due to the market conditions that prevailed over the course of time that the China dispute was underway. No producer was made whole just looking at what those benefits were that were conveyed under that program. In an interview this uh, past week, Chairman Peterson suggested that what we're seeing now is a reality that the 2018 Farm Bill was really inadequate, but truthfully was the best Farm Bill we could come up with given the funding sources. So if we're looking at, at new policy, how could we correct it if the 2023 Farm Bill comes around? What are opportunities that we should seize that could build a better safety net for producers? Well, and and certainly available funds are always a challenge. And I, I do think is you know we saw a lot of, of positives in the 2018 Farm Bill, and I you know give credit to to Congress for putting together a Farm Bill under challenging circumstances. I know as we look at the safety net that's available to cotton farmers. Uh, particularly through the uh, through the seed cotton arc and PLC, that uh, we do feel like there's uh, you know some some benefits that are conveyed. And I don't think the farm bill could have anticipated this the type of market disruption that has prevailed due to to COVID. I would say as we look ahead to the next farm bill, securing available funding is going to be the key challenge. And let's hope there are sufficient resources to establish support levels that are necessary to recognize the cost that a producer sees. And I think a couple of things that do need to be looked at as we look ahead to the next farm bill is recognize the economies of scale and where we are with family farming operations today in terms of how they've had to to get larger in order to spread their cost across uh, more acres. But I, I think what that underscores is that the, the payment limitations that we're working under from the 2018 Farm Bill are, are unnecessary or outdated and are overly restrictive for our family farming operations. So I think one of the things we'd like to see as we look ahead to a new Farm Bill is that hopefully they would see an increase in those payment limits and maybe even use uh, some of the developments that we've seen under uh, the MFP and under CFAP where there's been some higher payment limits. So hopefully that would be one way that would try to make farm bills a bit more effective, a safety net for our farming operations. Certainly the COVID-19 situation is not on the plate of a farmer. He didn't have any control over that, didn't have any control over the trade spat between the U.S. and China. But the question would be, how do you get back to a market-oriented farm program when so many other circumstances have clearly clouded the future and opportunity for u.s producers well it, it is it is tough and i and i do think you've you know you try to hopefully as we who knows how we're going to see the pandemic play out you do hope that as progress is made on a vaccine that that allows economic activity to return and then we get the demand side back i think a lot of it is trying to bring back global demand address some of the challenges that we have on the trade front and and certainly address some of those issues, but hopefully get to a point where there's some certainty and some stability in trade policy, and then we're going to get back to a better economic situation. I do think that becomes the key is that allowing demand growth to return 
and and if that occurs, then hopefully that sets us on a better path for farmers, for agriculture in general. Gary, can the market itself recover the cotton industry, or what help must come now to survive it to that point? Well, and I, and, I, and that's a good point. I, I think that's in the short term. That's why it's so critical that as we look at the actions that we hope Congress takes over these next three weeks as they're putting a next relief legislation together, I go back to, you know, there's going to need to be some type of assistance uh, in there to to help maintain that infrastructure, to maintain those businesses that really uh, support our farmers and maintain our, our family farming operation. You know, we do see, and at some point we're going to get to the other side, but assistance is needed to bridge that gap and make sure we can get to the other side of this. There are calls now to move back to supply management. Can the cotton industry in the U.S. afford to start restricting supply given the competition that we have in the globe? Uh, that's a good question. And we, and we have seen a little bit more of a, uh, of an uptick in discussion on supply management. I guess as I look at the U.S. cotton industry and I look at where our policy positions are and where they've evolved to over time, we would not be in support of supply management in something of the form of, of annual set-asides. I, th- I think the challenge there becomes that eventually if you're not putting those acres into production and we realize we're operating in a global marketplace, then somebody else is going to step in and put those acres in production, whether in the case of cotton, that be Brazil, it be India, it be some parts of West Africa. So I don't know that I see that as the, the, the long-term solution either, and it's not, a, it's not a policy position that we would be supportive of. I do think because when, when demand recovers and we go about the business of trying to provide the feed, the food, the, the fuel, and the fiber for a growing global population, that we're going to need those acres in production, and we're going to need to continue to see uh, technology improve and yields increase. What's the cotton industry's position on expanding the spending authority for the Commodity Credit Corporation and giving USDA more rain to be able to assist? I think that's certainly something that Congress should look at. And again, when we look at some of the assistance that we believe is needed within the industry right now, and, and again, I go back to some of those areas that are are beyond the farm gate but are critical support to the, our producers. And again, we look at merchandising and the, the, the kind of the, the merchandising processing manufacturing segments. Uh, I do think there's some opportunities there uh, to provide some of that spending authority that within the CCC that can still, you know, it's, it's ultimately to the benefit of the producer, even if it's not going directly to the to the producer. And so, uh, see some uh, some opportunities there to do that. And then I think the other thing to consider within regard to the CCC is the fact that USDA needs adequate funding as well. And I know there's been discussions around whether or not the current limit on CCC uh, authority is enough or not. So that's something I think Congress needs to look at as well. Of course, the question is if you're going to allow additional funds and authority under a particular agency, are you going to do that without strings, or as some have suggested on both sides of the aisle, they'd like to make sure that they have some control over who gets those dollars and how they're spent? That's a good point, and as Congress looks at putting this legislation together, clearly if there's some priorities that Congress wants to wants to see USDA address, then I would think they would want to spell those out, or at least certainly provide enough general language to give USDA the direction of where they want to go, or if they have some very strong intentions, that they go ahead and provide the specific language. So I do think the opportunity is there for Congress now as they're putting a package together 
that if there are some priorities that need to be addressed, this is the chance to put some of that language in the next piece of legislation. Let's bring to the discussion the heading of either climate change or sustainability. Is sustainability something that is at the forefront for the cotton industry and policy decisions that may be before us, either in your own organization or in programs to come from Washington? It is front and center within the U.S. cotton industry, and and I'll just take a, a minute or two to talk about work we're doing with a program called the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, and that's an intentional sustainability effort within the industry to enroll producers in a program where they fill out a questionnaire regarding their farming practices. They use a data tool to track their input usage, their farming practices on a certain percentage of their fields. And then we want to use that information, allow them to use that information, hopefully to identify areas for continuous improvement. And we know our producers farm under some of the most uh, stringent regulations there are in the world. Uh, They're some of the early adopters of technology, we have seen a great track record of reducing our environmental footprint. We also know that from our textile supply chain, more and more is being asked of producers about how they farm. Those brands and retailers are under increasing scrutiny about where they source their products from. So we believe we've got a very positive story to tell for U.S. cotton producers, and that's something we're very interested in. That's a program we're going to continue to drive forward in terms of trying to get more producers enrolled. And I do think it can come into play, particularly as we may see future policy developments about ways that farmers may be able to benefit because of their farming practices, whether it gets back to climate change issues, greenhouse gas emissions, soil carbon. Very interested in that topic, and we see a lot of a lot of potential for the future there. Is this something the customer is going to ask you to do that you're already doing, or a way that will bring about change in the way cotton is produced and manufactured in the country? I think what it, I, I think well certainly the the customer is is wanting to know more about how the cotton's produced. They want to know more about the farming practices, the use of cover crops, uh, the way producers try to optimize irrigation, uh, the use of you know the use of chemicals, those types of questions. So again, customers are asking those questions, and I think for us it's about uh, being able to provide in aggregate. We're not talking about disclosing anything for an individual. Per- farmer, but providing an aggregate aggregate that information so we can answer those questions and and hopefully, again, continue to expand the marketplace for U.S. cotton. I do think as we look at the potential benefits of the U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol back to participating producers is hopefully we're going to give them some feedback as they look at their responses relative to an average of of the other participants. They're, They're hopefully going to identify some areas, well, maybe they could look at some different production practices or uh, a change here or there would uh, hopefully uh, make them even more efficient in, in the use of their resources, maybe continue to drive their continuous improvement. So we, ho- I guess in, in one way we hope this is a, a tool that they can use and the feedback that they can garner from that tool that can allow them to, uh, to identify areas for continuous improvement. What is the challenge and what would be your thought on the way forward with DICAMBA? because there are weed issues that growers in the South are facing that certainly uh, require some advanced tools, and that is a, a situation from the regulatory standpoint that has been challenged and certainly litigation now that has brought questions even in this growing season. Where do we go from here? Yeah, that, it, it's certainly been uh, you know quite an issue as we've gone through 2020. 
We did not obviously like to see the uh, decision that came out of the panel of the Ninth Circuit. We were heartened to see the fact that EPA allowed those existing stocks to be used. I think going forward, it is, uh, I would just reiterate how important a tool it is for producers to be able to have access to Dicamba to be part of their overall management practice. And we, and we know, I think, producers uh, need to be able to use multiple modes of action so that they can hopefully minimize any resistance issues going forward. I guess as we look ahead to 2021, our understanding is the work is underway to put together the label that will be in place, in effect, for 2021. And hopefully EPA will come out with a label that will be workable for growers that will also address probably some of the questions that came up with the label that was vacated by the panel in the Ninth Circuit. But certainly we feel like given the importance of that product in cotton production, we certainly want to see a label for dicamba in 2021. Is it frustrating to have a national law and to have regulation in place that would give license to use a product to see it thwarted by a courtroom? Maybe that's an issue that needs to be looked at more from a policy perspective or how these challenges can play out in the court system. I don't know the exact way forward there, but I agree with you that when you have one circuit court that is able to make a decision that affects the entire United States, particularly when you look at the footprint of that circuit court, who's under that essentially the, the areas of the country that they cover, Arizona is the only state where dicamba actually had a label to be used anyway. Uh, you already could not use dicamba in California. So that is frustrating. That's certainly an issue that has come up. Perhaps there's a way forward for matters of this importance to a national scope. Uh, there's a, a, a better way to come at this than one circuit court. Gary Adams, we want to thank you for taking time in what certainly is a busy season for the cotton industry with so many concerns across the country, but especially in Washington now to visit with us on this edition of Open Mic. It is Open Mic. You've been here before, and you know you have the last word today. Well, Jeff, thank you very much. Uh, certainly it's been a, a challenging year, but uh, we certainly look forward to getting to the other side of this pandemic and seeing the, uh, the economic situation improve, but thank you for having me. Our thanks to Dr. Gary Adams, President and CEO of the National Cotton Council, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by NCIS, the National Crop Insurance Services. Crop insurance, the smartest, most efficient way to secure America's food, fiber, and fuel supply. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Dowling.